Back in the Old Testament, when Israel was placed in exile for 70 years, um, about 100 years later, a swarm of locusts came charging through Judah and ate everything in sight. That's what locusts do. They eat everything in sight. And the calamity was kind of a setting for prophetic oracles contained in the book of Joel. And in the first part of the book, the prophet Joel challenges uh, the people uh, by the damage done by the locusts that they should call on God, um, not only for their losses, but also for their sins. It was kind of a, kind of a wake-up call. And then the prophet goes on to say that in, if they in fact do that, if they do cry out to the Lord for forgiveness, um, that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten. In Joel 2, 25. Well, there's something going on in the world right now. Uh, catastrophic events with locusts. 13 million people in East Africa face famine right now as a result of the locust swarms. Let's check it out on the screen. The worst outbreak some countries there have seen in 70 years. Now, here are some of the countries that are most affected by those locusts. Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya are the worst affected, and Uganda is bracing for an invasion too. Authorities have advised citizens to stock up on food as the insects approach the border with Kenya. Now, researchers say they pose an unprecedented threat to food security in some of the world's most vulnerable countries. They eat and destroy everything on their way. One swarm measured 60 kilometers long and 40 kilometers wide. Hundreds of thousands of acres of crops destroyed. People fight back with whatever means they have. We are more than 200 herders here, and we all depend on this land for grazing. Now it will be disastrous if we all perish without getting any help. The swarms came from Yemen, then down from the Red Sea to the Horn of Africa. The unusual warm temperatures off the coast are partly to blame. The recent heavy rainfall has created the perfect breeding conditions. The greenery that has sprung up is now fueling them. So you notice it's not just a swarm of locusts, it swarms, plural, covering 900 square miles containing 80 million individual locusts. And in one day, those locusts can consume more food than 35,000 people could eat. So that's a lot of food. By estimates, uh, swarms could increase by 500 times come this June. So things are looking pretty grim for those folks in Africa. But in the midst of all this suffering, there's good stuff happening. There's light in the darkness. There's a group called Mary's Meals. And they have headed over to Africa. And their mission is every child receives one daily meal in place of their education. And so today, right now, Mary's Meals, they're feeding 1.3 million children in Africa. And the actions of these Christian groups like Mary's Meals make Christians stand out about everybody else. Instead of running away from the problem, Christians are running into the problem and doing something about it. So, locusts are on the rampage, but Christians are active, proactive in making a difference in the world. We're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 9 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Um, On the back of your program, most of those verses are listed. And uh, follow along as we go. Looking at verse 1, chapter 9. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and the air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. 
They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. And in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Help us, Lord, to read it and apply it to our lives. And Lord, we get it. Some strange stuff going on here in Revelation 9, but first and foremost, Lord, once again, we see you trying to awaken a sleeping world, a world that has rejected you. And Lord, today, in this room, it's very possible that there are individuals that have rejected you, and they continue to reject you. But Lord, we pray that by the end of our time together, there will come a time when those individuals say yes to you, where they place their hope and trust and faith in you, Lord. Let that happen. May your name be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, somebody sent me an article last week. Billy Graham wrote it, titled, Turn to God Before It's Too Late. I want to read the part of it on the front end because... I want to encourage all of us that we put our faith in Christ before it is too late. Because when we keep rejecting Christ over and over again, it becomes easier the next time. And our hearts become more hardened as time goes. And pretty soon, we're in pretty bad shape. And we don't even realize it. So, here it is. Turn to God before it's too late. Our newspaper headlines and stories sound as though they have come straight from the book of Revelation. Earthquakes, landslides, tidal waves, and volcanic eruptions have dealt massive devastation in many parts of the world. In Matthew 24, Christ warned that toward the end of history, there would be a drastic increase in in such convulsions in the earth. And he, as he was coming near to his cross, he told the disciples many things that staggered the men. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives with his followers, Their question was, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? You can see that in Matthew 24. And Jesus warned them that they could never know the day nor the hour when history would reach its climax. However, he did give them certain signs to look for. Among these signs were the increase of wars and rumors of wars, famine, pestilence, and earthquakes. I often wonder what kind of earthquake or war must be sent by God to awaken a sleeping world to the imminence of his coming judgment. Even Christians are in a state of slumber from which many of them do not want to be aroused. So what's causing all this trouble in the world? The scriptures teach us that behind the world system in which we live is the supernatural power of Satan himself. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world in John 12, verse 31. The Bible teaches that he is the God of this age who has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Billy concludes, the people of Jeremiah's day hardened their hearts and refused to repent of their sin. Thus, the desolation and judgment came. Jerusalem was destroyed as Jeremiah had predicted. In Jeremiah's words, I plead with you before it's too late, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Let us return to the Lord and to our God, for he will have mercy upon us and he will abundantly pardon our sins. When did Billy Graham write that article? 1960. It's a while ago. He's writing about stuff happening in the world, and here we are many decades later, how much closer we are to the coming of the Lord. This morning, as we look at 
Revelation 9, we're uh, picking up from where we left off a couple weeks ago in Revelation 8. We see that um, um, verse eight thirteen. I looked, John said, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air, terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. We're going to be taking a look at two angels blowing their trumpets in chapter 9 this morning. And once again, I want to read from Revelation 1.3. Why? Because when we read, we're told when we read God's word and we obey it, we're blessed. And this morning, we're going to read it. We're going to listen to it and obey it. Therefore, you will be blessed. Isn't that good news? Come on now. Come on. Yeah, man, I want to be blessed. I do. I want, I want God's hand on my shoulder, man, uh, as a sign of his favor. So here we go. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says, for the time is near. The time is near. So, I was thinking, why is this verse in Revelation? I'll tell you why. I thought about it this morning. When you start to read the book of Revelation, I think initially you want to close the book because it's a little weird. It's different. There's a lot of symbolism. There's things that can maybe freak you out. And so you say, well, I'm going to put my head in the sand instead and just deal with it some other time. We are opening the book, we're reading it, we're listening to it, and by obeying it, God is going to bless you. We're, we're going through this study on purpose because, because of that reason. We need God's blessing. We need his favor on our lives. And so we say yes to that today. So number one in your notes, the fifth angel We left off with the fourth angel in in chapter 8, the fifth trumpet blast. Verse 1, then the fifth angel blew his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So we see a star falling. In chapter 8, we saw a star falling. That was an asteroid hitting planet earth. This is not... Uh, This is a a person. This is a character. Because we see the text says it's he. He. I saw that he had fallen. And so with this, we realize that this star that's fallen is Satan himself. The Greek is in perfect tense in this verse, which means it fell from the past with lingering results. We know today that Satan still has lingering results in our world. He continues to tempt people. He continues to cause destruction and chaos in the world. Satan lost his residence in heaven. He was the number one worship leader. He led the angels in worship before Almighty God. And then it started to go into his head. He said, man, I want, I want to be worshipped. And so because he caused a rebellion in heaven, he, along with one-third of the other angels were kicked out of heaven. And that's where we get this, I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky. He was evicted. And so this morning we realize that because Satan knows that his time is short, in Revelation 20 verse 10, he is thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. He realizes because that time is ticking away, He's going to be as aggressive as possible in influencing people and bring as many people with, to that lake of fire with him as possible. So, you and I are going to do everything we can to prevent that from happening. <laughs> you bet. You bet. So what happens? Number one, the pit open. One, verse 1 and 2. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to the earth from the sky. What's that star? Satan. He fell. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And when he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, 
and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Satan was given the key to the bottomless pit. What's going on there? Well, in Matthew 25, 41, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. That's what the lake of fire was prepared for. It was prepared for Satan and his demons. And everybody that rejects the grace of God will ultimately be thrown into that lake of fire with him. That's what's being told in Matthew 25 here. And so what happens when that door is opened? Satan unlocks the door with that key. Smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Last week or two weeks ago in chapter 8, we saw that the stars and the suns were darkened. So whatever light was creeping through, more darkness will cover the earth and cover the sun, moon, and stars. That word pits in the Greek is used seven times in the book of Revelation. And each time it refers to fallen spirits or demons. And so the Bible indicates that in times past, God incarcerated certain demons for periods of time. We'll get more into that in a minute. Number two, the locusts are released. Verse three, then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth and there they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. So what's happening is the pit is open, demons are unleashed, these wicked spirits have power. We see what they're doing. That word power means authority or permission. They have permission to torment people. They do not have power to kill people. They have power to torment people for a limited amount of time. In verse 4, we see they can't, they're not going to harm the grass, plants, or trees. That's what locusts usually destroy. Anything green in their way, they're going to eat it. These locusts are going to leave everything like that apart, and they're going to attack human beings exclusively. Their target is not plants, but people. And so we see that they are going to inflict torment on certain people, those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we know that God put a mark, he put a seal on 144,000 Jewish people to protect them, to preserve them. Those people that don't have the seal of God, they're open prey for these demons to attack. We see that they're going to torment them for five months. That's the life expectancy of a locust, by the way. Five months. The harvest season from the time you plant to the time you harvest is five months. For a season of five months, those locusts will torment human beings. And they will sting them like a scorpion. Anybody been stung by a scorpion? (laughs) I haven't either. And I'm grateful for that. But anyway, I hear, I hear, the rumor is scorpions sting pretty bad. You know, it's not something that you go out and say, man, I can hardly wait to get stung by a scorpion. No, that's not the plan here. So, Martin Luther Some of you know his story, read his story, saw his story on a movie. He said the devil came to him on one occasion, and he asked Martin, let me come into your heart. I want to discuss some very important matters with you. And Luther responded back, I don't have the keys to the door. Ask God. He's got them. Martin Luther recognized the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. He is the one who has all power and authority. And that's a great place for you and I to have our lives as well. Number three, death flees. Why is that? Look at verse six. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This supernatural activity from these locusts are messing with people. 
they're tormented to the point where they want to just call it the end of the day. Just like human beings that had the mark of God upon their foreheads, they could not lose their lives. It's as if God has put something around these human beings that they can't die. They want to die. They're prevented from dying. And they're allowed to feel the full torment of these locusts during those five months. And so you look, Friday, for example, I was in, I was in uh, Costco. There's signs up because people are hoarding stuff already because of the coronavirus. You know, they're, they're just stocking up on stuff. Now think about it. That's just a virus. But imagine you look at all these horrific judgments that are hitting planet Earth. Can you imagine what human beings are and how they're going to respond to all of these things that are hitting them all at once? They see no future. They see no hope. And they want to call it quits. And that can happen. So... Number four, locust attributes. We're going to zero in. John's going to give us a closer picture of what these locusts look like. Verse 7, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had power to torment people. So let's zoom in. Let's take a look. Verse 7 says, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They also had crowns like gold on their heads, and they had human faces. In verse 8, we see they have hair like women. They have teeth like lions. In verse 9, their armor is like iron. They have wings roaring like an army of chariots. In verse 10, they have tails like scorpions. And there's something that keeps showing up in these verses. There's one word that keeps showing up, and it's the word like. Human-like faces. Locusts look like horses. Armor like iron. Wings like an army of chariots. Tails like scorpions. What's that mean? John is using vocabulary that he's, uh, that's available to him back in this time. Uh, all he's familiar with is bows and arrows and spears. And so when he's describing these things, he's using the best language possible. And based on this symbolic picture of these locusts, um, you, you kind of get the imagery that it's warlike, it's brutal, it's fierce. And guess what? These, these locusts are not like the locusts you saw on the screen. You know, the, the, These are demonic beings in the kingdom of darkness, supernatural soldiers. Back in the early days of World War II when the Nazis were going through Europe, those that were opposing them said, man, these guys are like superhuman. They never sleep. They never stop. Well, it came out after time that the Nazi soldiers were given crystal meth. That's why they didn't have to sleep, and that's why they could just keep going. They intimidated their enemies because they seemed like supernatural human beings. They never quit. Well, that's the same imagery we see with these locusts, man. They're supernatural beings. Very intimidating. Number five, the locust boss comes from the pit. So not only did... Not only did these demons, these, this army come out, uh, the king, in verse 11, is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abandon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. So John mentions that this wicked army, these wicked spirits are being led by a king. And John identifies him by his title and name. So who is he? Who is this king? Most likely, he's a high-ranking lieutenant in Satan's army. He's not Satan, but he's a high-ranking demon in Satan's army. And he will do his Lord's bidding. 
Whatever Satan wants him to do, he's going to do it. And even at this time, when these locusts and this stuff is hitting the planet, it's like hell on earth. And it kind of gives you and I a picture this morning of what eternal separation from God would look like. We're we're, we're looking at a five-month window initially and how it tormented people. Can you imagine all eternity away from the presence of God? And yet people still refuse to repent. It's crazy. It's crazy. And why is that? Well, Jesus told us in John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus, who knew human beings well, he said, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Their actions were evil. God does everything he can to bring the light to where the people are. And even at the end of Revelation 8.13, which we talked about earlier, when that eagle is shouting, terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world, he's extending mercy once again to the human beings, waiting for them to put their, their hope, their trust in the Lord. Do you know that the Bible gives over 600 warnings about hell? Do you realize that Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible? Why is that? Because he doesn't want anybody to go there. That's why. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. The message puts it this way, It's no light thing to know that one day, will stand in the place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. We need to realize how important it is while we have the opportunity to let the light of Christ shine through us and to speak about the great love and grace of Jesus Christ. When God brings people into our lives, it's an opportunity to tell them about him. Last week, I had an opportunity of talking to a, a man who was retired. I never met him before. We started, we started a conversation, started talking about the world. He said, man, this world is messed up. Uh, there's no hope. And I said, Jesus is the hope of the world. And he says, I think it's too late. And I said, it's never too late when Jesus is involved. And he says, hey, what, what do you do for a living? And, and I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he says, well, that's, that's uh, now I get it, he said. You know? Now, now I understand. But after that conversation, he walked away. You know, he was done. He didn't want to hear any more about it. It's our responsibility to tell people that Jesus is the hope of the world. Think about it. He came. He died for your sin and my sin. He died so that he could forgive us. So that when his father looks at you and me, he sees righteousness as if we never sinned. We can come into his very presence at any time. We don't have to beg. We don't have to call and make an appointment. We can come boldly into his presence. We can talk to him at any time. And he talks to us at any time. What a gift that is. And so we need to take full advantage of that. And verse 12 says that first terror is past, the locust, the five months over, two more are coming, which brings us to point number two, the sixth angel, the sixth trumpet blast, verse 13, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. What's going on at the altar? Point one, the voice. There is a voice speaking from the altar. Verse 13b, I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. The altar. There's a voice coming from the altar. It kind of reminds me of the voice coming from the burning bush back in Exodus 3, isn't it? 
You know, Moses is walking by this bush, and this bush is burning, and it's talking. It's a little different. Well, here's an altar, and a voice is coming from the altar, and it's giving a command what needs to happen. This voice from the altar calls for the release of four wicked angels, demons, that have been held captive by the Euphrates River. Verse 14, and the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. What's that about? Well, number two, we see the four angels loosed. Look at verse 15. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. These four spirits, it's said that they were prepared for this hour and day and month and year, and they were turned loose to kill one-third of the people on earth. So let's take a look at a map. There is a Euphrates River, by the way. This is not a myth. It's not, you know, some kind of a cartoon. There is a Euphrates River. Turkey, which exists today, it starts there. It goes through Syria, through modern-day Iraq, through Kuwait. Let's zero in on the next. So here we have it. The Euphrates River ends up in the Persian Gulf. We have the Tigris River. Boom, right through here. They intersect, and he ends up in the Persian Gulf. So... The Euphrates River, these four demons have been held, held back for thousands of years. Why? Because God has timing on everything. And he's saying right here, right now, this is the time to loose these four demons. And they've got a job to do. And that job is to kill one-third of the remaining people on the planet. It's pretty brutal. The Euphrates River where the Tigris and the Euphrates meet somewhere in there, that's where the Garden of Eden was, the beautiful Garden of Eden, the Garden of Perfection. In that garden came a usurper, Satan. And in that garden, the first sin was committed, and the first lie was told. And near that garden, the first murder was committed. And near there was the first grave dug. And near the Euphrates, the Tower of Babel was built. And that's where God had to confuse mankind with their languages. So there was a lot of stuff happening around the Euphrates River. And once again, during this time of the tribulation, stuff is going to be happening at the Euphrates River. These four wicked angels, demons, were chained for thousands of years. And now they were prepared for this hour, day, month, and year. God is always on time. He's always on time. And I'm so glad that we can trust God with our lives in his hands. He's got his timing in our lives. He opens doors. He closes doors. He's in control. And it's a great place to be that our lives are in his hands and his care. He is in the ultimate control of history. So, verse 16 says... Not only did you have these four demons, but I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. So together, these wicked forces will kill one-third of humanity through fire, smoke, and burning sulfur. So who are these 200 million mounted troops? Well, some some have said that uh, it's probably China. China has boasted that they have available at their source 200 million soldiers. Boom, just like that. Others describe that what John describes defies human life, but instead is a demonic army. So during at the height of World War II, the American forces numbered 12 million. The combined forces for all armies during World War II was 70 million. So when John's talking about 200 million troops, man, you could say that's a huge army. And um, 
very possible it's a demonic army heading off with those four angels as well. Number three, the horses and riders on the move were 17. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. And one-third of all the people on earth were killed by these plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. John mentions horses, and they have heads like lions. We see that this is the second demon-inspired attack on human beings. The first were the locusts. For five months, they tormented people. Now we've got this army that is actually killing people. It's much worse, this judgment. And then you'll find as the tribulation proceeds, the judgments will increase in severity. Which leads us to number three. It's decision time again. Verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You would say after all of this stuff, after reading chapter 9 all the way up through verse 19, you would say for sure people would be awakened to the condition of their lives and put their faith in Christ. You, you would say, it's got to be. Well, it's quite the contrary. It's, we're told they still refuse to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. So, Breakpoint, John Stone Street writes, the spread of the corner... Coronavirus is a brutal reminder of just how fragile humans are, a direct and uncomfortable challenge to our collective illusion of control. As it spreads, not only are individual lives threatened, but also the intricate and fragile web of global connections that fuel national and international economies. So to ask God's help in all this shouldn't be controversial at all, right? Isn't that right? It shouldn't be controversial. But quite the contrary, because a photo was released to the media just last week of the Corona Task Force, and here they are in a room asking God for wisdom, and they're asking God for a solution in dealing with the coronavirus in America. Well, no audio was provided to the media. But the media pundits were quick to go after the leaders for their show of faith, calling it a hypocritical photo op and using it to lambast the task force for their lack of medical background. Thomas Williams, who writes for the New York Times, offered his jabs by insinuating that the leaders were doing nothing to stop the pandemic other than sitting in a room and praying. Haters are going to hate. Mockers are going to mock God until the judgment day. You're saying it in 2020, friends, the same mindset that you're going to see in Revelation 9, where people are rejecting God over and over and over again. Instead of going to God and asking him for help, when somebody goes to him and prays, they get mocked in our modern day. That's how it is. We, as human beings, our hearts naturally want to go hard and go calloused. I've been reading through the book of Numbers, and I, I'm, I'm reminding myself, I'm glad I am, because it's giving me another picture of the nation of Israel on how quick they were to forget about the goodness of God and his provision, and how quick they were 
This is interesting. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And this is the word, the land flowing with milk and honey. No, no. The promised land is the land flowing with milk and honey. Not Egypt. They had it backwards. But how quick human nature is to forget God. Our hearts become hardened against him. And we push God away. It is my intention Because I know my heart. My heart naturally wants to go hard. My heart naturally wants to become hardened towards the things of God. I have to be intentional about keeping that heart pliable in the hands of God. And I hope you do that as well. Lord, I don't want to do anything in my life that would grieve you. I want to honor you, Lord, because I realize how much you love me. And in turn, I love you. And by demonstrating that love to you, I want to honor you in everything that I do and say. I'm not perfect, but I endeavor to honor him and follow his character and model his character in my life. So we see that in verse 20, the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. And they continue to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood, idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. Now, thinking how boastful we are about our intelligence as human beings, wouldn't you say that your intelligence would say, this is pretty stupid to worship idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you, when you put that on the table, you would say, what in the world? Why would anybody worship an idol that can't see, that can't hear, that can't walk? But so many of us get entrapped. We get compromised, and we end up doing that very thing. So John breaks down these five categories of sin that are going to be representative in Revelation chapter 9. During the tribulation, These five sins, by the way, are very active right here, right now in 2020. It is very possible that they're impacting your life. And they're restricting your growth with Christ. So let's walk through those. The first one is idolatry is demonic. We understand idolatry is an issue at heart and honestly confess all our struggle and our temptations toward idolatry, man. There's, there's that battle all the time. Unbridled um, ambition, pride, anything that turns our full devotion away from God to ourselves, that's idolatry. And it's usually that unholy trinity that peaks, you know, me, myself, and I. That's what's most important. I'm going to feed me, myself, and I, and I'll forget about God for now. But it's so easy to get wrapped up in the things of this world that distract us from pursuing our relationship with Christ. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. And so, idolatry. Is there an idol in your life this morning that's competing against your relationship with Christ? Think about it. Well, in a very simple way, when I was growing up, my parents, we, we would go to church, we'd come home. My mom would put a white sheet on the, on the living room floor and we'd all take a nap. We didn't have air conditioning. And so on that white sheet, we'd call it the day. I couldn't go out and play on Sunday because it was the Lord's day. I thought I got, you know, I was ripped off, man. You know, life isn't fair. Oh, that's how it was back then. Today, today, I would say, I've had this conversation with with a lot of dudes, man, that uh, sports and athletics has become a god in our culture. Um, And listen, I'm not bashing sports. I I checked into the Badgers yesterday, you know. 
beating Indiana. So I'm not against sports. But what I am saying is sports has become a god in our country. When I was growing up, sports Sunday was, was a day off for everybody. But today, as you know, children, young children, middle schoolers, high schoolers, their athletic events are on Sundays or the weekends. It's take them away from the house, get them in into tournaments. Boom. That's what's most important. I've got neighbors that do that, so that's why I'm speaking with authority. Hey, if it keeps you away from your church, man, you know, it doesn't have to be athletics. It could be something else, something that pulls you away. It's very subtle, you know, little compromise here, little compromise there. Boom, boom. And here we are. We're worshiping an idol of bronze, stone, wood. It can't see, can't hear, can't walk. We make all these gods, little g, in our lives. We're worshiping these idols. The second thing is they refuse to turn from murder. In Matthew 24, 37, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. How was it in the days of Noah? Well, let's go back and see. In Genesis 6, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. And God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. Hmm. Anarchy. Murder. Do you see what's happening in our country the last several years? The attack on police? The attack on authority? Our country has given way to anarchy and it's just a little glimpse of what it's going to be like during the tribulation. And so, three, they refuse to give up witchcraft. I... All, I, I'll tell you, most of the cartoons today are laced with witchcraft. A lot of the movies today, a lot of the television series are laced with witchcraft. One of the fastest growing segments in America today is the interest in white witchcraft and black witchcraft. The Wiccans worshiping nature, black witchcraft worshiping Satan. There's an interest in that. The Greek word here for witchcraft is pharmakeia, which is literally where we get our word pharmacy. It means the use or the administering of drugs, sorcery, magical arts, often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it. So in ancient times and modern times, sorcery and witchcraft went hand in hand. Always connected with drug use, drugs intertwined with fantasy and reality. I I think we see a real push in our country to legalize marijuana. Um, You've got to debate with the the medicine, the the medical side of things. I, I get that. But that's not where it's happening. That's just an excuse. You go out to the West Coast and you're given needles to enhance your addictions. And so what is happening? Uh, witchcraft is, is on the increase. And friends, we need to just pause and look at our lives. Which direction are we going? Number four, they won't give up their sexual immorality. Sexual immorality literally means adultery, fornication. What's fornication? It's sex before marriage. Homosexuality, bestiality, lust. Jesus raised the bar. If you lust after someone, it's as if you have committed the physical act. Sexual immorality. I don't have to talk about the media today, you know. The explosion of that. Um, 
We don't have to wait to Revelation 9. It's 2020. That's the world we're living in. And so I, as a man, I have to put boundaries around how I think, what I look at. Why? Because I don't want to fall prey to sexual immorality. And number five, theft will be rampant. In other words, honesty is going to vanish. Verse 20 and 21 in the message puts it this way. The remaining men and women who weren't killed by these weapons went on their merry way. And I just want to say, hey, are we going on our merry way? Do we realize the days that we're living in? They didn't change their way of life, didn't quit worshiping demons, didn't quit centering their lives around lumps of gold and silver and brass, hunks of stone and wood they couldn't see or hear or move. There wasn't a sign of a change of heart. They plunged right in their murderous, occult, promiscuous, and thieving ways. These people's hearts were so hardened that these plagues did not touch them didn't impact them about the condition of their soul. It wasn't a wake-up call to cry out to God for mercy. Temptation that hits you and I today becomes sin tomorrow if we don't deal with it. And then I have it the next day, death and separation, God, ultimately. And so we have a responsibility to live our lives in 2020 Revelation 9 is a picture of what's going on in a country even today. It's going on in your life and my life today. It should make each one of us committed, Lord, I don't want to get caught up in anything. That's going to be a distraction in my relationship with you. So, there are safeguards that you and I can build to prevent us from compromising from leaning into what the world wants us to do. The first one is, does it build me up spiritually or does it tear me down? Does it build me up or does it tear me down? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, you say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. So instead of asking the question, can I technically do this? We should simply say, does it build me up spiritually or does it tear me down spiritually? Second, does it bring me under its power? 1 Corinthians six twelve. you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. So if you can't go an hour without doing or seeing, whatever the case may be, that's not good for you. You're under its control. And number three, do I have an uneasy conscience about it? Romans 14, 23, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. God has planted a conscience in each one of our minds on purpose. I have a responsibility to keep that conscience clean, alert, aware for what the Spirit of God is saying. It's so cool to be able to sense the Holy Spirit tapping me on the shoulder, you know? To get my attention in a situation where it not, might not be good for me. So it's your responsibility, my responsibility, that our conscience is clean. The doors are open for the Spirit of God to speak to us at any moment, and we respond in obedience to that. And so... Is there anything? As David said, Lord, is there anything in my life that's displeasing to you? Is there anything in my life that's grieving you right now? And we need to deal with it. We can't procrastinate. We can't give it another day to live inside of us, influencing our decisions. We have a decision to make. And after the bombs of World War II ravaged downtown Warsaw, Poland, 
one of the skeletal structures that were was remaining on the main street was the Polish headquarters of the British and Foreign Bible Society. And the one wall that was still standing had words clearly legible on it that read, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35. And that's a picture of the hope that you and I have in this world today. Our world may be collapsing, but the work of Christ will endure. And here's the good verse to hang on to, Matthew 24, 6, in the message. Keep your head and don't panic. (laughs) How do you keep your head and don't panic when the world is collapsing? I can tell you, by reading God's word daily, spending time in his presence. I'm telling you, man, there is something about spending time with the Lord and allowing him to speak into our lives allowing his word to renew our thinking that we will keep our head and we won't panic. Several years ago, there were some monster tornadoes that swept through Oklahoma. A mother and daughter saw a tornado coming and they barely got in the door of their safe room, closing the door behind them. A couple of hours later, they came out. Their neighborhood was gone. Their house was gone. They lost a lot that day, but they were okay because they found one place that could survive a storm, and that was a safe room. Millions of people in the world today have found that Jesus is a safe place. Because of Jesus putting your trust in him, that's one place that you can be safe in because he's got the whole world in his hands. Does he have you? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, we want to thank you in Revelation 9 how you have reminded us on how hard people's hearts can become to the point where they reject you even in the worst situations. And so, Lord, even this morning, in the quietness of this hour, we can pause and probe and allow your Spirit to speak to us. Is there compromise in my life? What is distracting me from spending time with the Lord consistently? What has a hook in my life that has control over me? What is preventing me from taking that next step in growing in my relationship with Christ? And so, Lord, we thank you for talking to us this morning, for challenging us, for awakening us, Lord, from our slumber. Forgive us, Lord. Create in me a clean heart this morning, Lord. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and and, um, you've never put your faith in Christ, I look at Jesus hanging on a cross and he's being crucified and there's two criminals, one on each side of him and they're being crucified but the difference is Jesus is carrying your sin and my sin and the sin of the world upon him. He's carrying the weight of the sin 
And the first word that came out of his mouth while he was hanging on that cross was, Father, forgive them. And this criminal who started mocking Christ along with his buddy, Jesus, come on down from that cross. Save yourself and save us too. Something went on in the next couple hours while he was hanging there. He saw Jesus who forgave so freely. And he realized Jesus was who he said he was, the Savior of the world. And when he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me today. And Jesus looked back and said, no, man, you're dying. It's too late. You've messed up too much. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, today, because you put your faith in me, today you will be with me in paradise. And so right here, right now, you can say, Lord, you took my place on the cross. You took my place. You paid for my sin debt in full, and I believe that, Lord. And so I invite you to come into my life and be my spiritual leader and forgive me. Forgive me. I believe, Lord, I put all my trust in you that you are the Savior of the world. And that's a new beginning. That's where that relationship begins, right here, right now.